God? Like, are you moving me somewhere? Like, what's going to happen? So I remember one night just being in my prayer closet and uh, coming to this verse, and it's in Psalm 77, verse 13 and 14, and it says, Your ways, God, are holy. Uh, what God is, is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. And I remember that week just coming to tears. thinking about that night and knowing that he he confirmed to me he said just wait and in the span of a week I got a new job I, I was just relieved of, of a lot of the oppression that I felt on me I literally doubled my salary in just four days and God was like I'm here I'm this is me this is what your life is gonna be trust me and from here on forward I got you and that is the testimony that I just want to share with each and every one of you like if you are expecting God to meet you here this morning just know that he is he's already here you have to meet him here so that's what I want to share so let's just close out in prayer <laughs> Father God, we praise you and we thank you for the blessings that you give to us, Father. I pray that each of us would soften our hearts so that we can receive what you have for us today. Bless this sermon, bless the worship, and I just pray that we would all be blessed as we leave here today. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Come on. Let your name be lifted higher. 
inside. We're here inside your presence, taken by the wonder of you. We sing that. We're here inside your glory, 
We give our lives fully to you. We'll sing it here inside. We're here inside your presence. We're taken by the wonder of you. glory we give our lives fully to you so we cry
Isaiah 6, 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. With my eyes I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go to the people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of his people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Just want us to focus our attention on that, that vision that Isaiah had. When he saw the Lord and the Lord had commanded him, the Lord seated in heaven with the angels, with the seraphim flying around the throne. They were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And this song is saying just that, church. We sing the same thing they're singing in heaven. Come on, did you know right now in heaven, there's no sick? Right now in heaven, there's no pain. Right now, they're throwing down their crowns. They're lifting their voice and singing praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And is there anyone here today that despite everything around, with the death and the turmoil happening in our city, that will turn your attention to heaven and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We'll still sing it out, God. It doesn't matter because you're worthy. Church, we're about to get ready to sing this part again. But I want you to sing it with everything you got with your heart. And make a declaration to yourself that your lives will set ablaze, that people would look at you and say, man, there's something different about that person. Man, there's something different about Rudy, the way he interacts with me. Man, there's something different about Ezekiel, how compassionate he is. There's something different about Jessica. Come on, that people would say, man, there's something different. It's like their lives have changed. It's like their lives have value, mean something. What is it that they'll see the power of God in you, over you, and through you? So as we get ready to sing this part again, we cry holy. I want you to come before the Lord. If there's anything that's hindering you, anything you've been putting up before the God, Come on, let's just give it up right now. That secret sin, the things that no one knows about. Come on, let's come before the Lord. Lord, we ask for repentance. God, we don't want anything to hinder 
the glory, the power of God. We ask that you would come and cleanse our hearts. We thank you, God, for what you're doing right now. In your holiness. Holy, holy
surrender and one on your heart. As you focus on the Lord this morning and we're singing this song, take the world but give me Jesus. I want you to identify what the world means in your life. What is that thing in this world that would try to take you off the path that God has for you? What is that one thing that you have identified in your life that will tempt you? What is that one thing that tries to take the place of God in your heart, that tries to sit on the throne of your heart where God belongs? What is that one thing? And as we sing this song one more time, I want you, in your heart of hearts, to ask God to take that from you. And for you to surrender every bit and every ounce of, of you to him. 
that you would have Jesus, that he would be the one to satisfy you, that he would be the one to meet your needs. Whatever it is, maybe it's a relationship that you should not be in. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's uh, fears and worries, sadness and depression and just the fears of this world that are trying to choke you out. What is that thing in this world? And as we reach out to heaven right now, we're going to sing this song with every ounce of our being. And we're going to ask God to take it from us. And we're going to believe for victory. And we're going to believe for freedom. And we're going to believe that God would take place of your heart once again and once and for all. Amen. Come on. Everything in this world is temporal. Everything in this world will pass away. Every bit of pain will leave one day as you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It would all pass away. So I want to pray over you, congregation, this morning that instead of focusing on the things of this world, your eyes will be set on things above. Your eyes will be set on things that are eternal. That temporary problems will one day pass away. Hallelujah. Father God, I pray that this would be a congregation, that our hearts and our minds would be set on things above, that, that we would have eternity set on our hearts, dear God, that we would know that this life is temporary, dear God. And the things that we see now, the things that we hold on to now, the things that we fight for now, dear God, those are temporary. Father, I pray against these distractions that the world brings, the love of money, the pride of life, the boasting of what we have and what we do. Dear God, those things are temporary. Those things are temporary. So I pray, dear God, that in our spirit we would walk out of here, dear God, with our eyes set upon you, 
that we would not waste time on things of this world, dear God, but we would push through, dear God, the things in the natural, and we would be thinking in the spiritual, that you have so much more for us, dear God. So take this world and give us Jesus. Take this world and give us Jesus. Come on, say it with me one more time. Take this world and give me Jesus. Take it, Lord. Take it, Lord. Take it, Lord. Those who are being distracted, those who are being wooed away right now by the enemy, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for discernment. I pray for discernment to know, dear God, when the enemy is trying to steal one of your sheep away. I pray that there will be men and women of God here this morning that would say no to the things of this world and yes to you. That they would love you more than anything else in Jesus' name. Whatever it is, dear God, that's trying to steal someone away, I pray that you would reveal it to them during the service. I pray that they would be strengthened through the preaching of the gospel. They will be strengthened through the preaching. And as they meet with you and they feel your presence, and they would not walk out of here the same way they walked in. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, give them some praise. God is good. God is worthy to be praised and adored. Please greet your neighbor and find your seat. So good to have you all here in the house of God. I want to take this time to dismiss the children. Your Sunday school teacher is waiting for you in the back. Everyone else, please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 6.23. I believe God has given me a word for this morning. Romans 6.23. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I really want you to listen up. I want your attention and I want you to take those words and I pray that God would speak to you and that you would surrender everything inside of you today. Because God is a serious God, amen? God does not waste his words and when he speaks, you need to listen. We need to listen and take heed. But he's patient with us, is, is he not? The Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? The Bible tells us that we have all sinned, we have all gone astray. We have all done things that are not pleasing in the eyes of God. Amen? There's two types of people in this world. There's just two types of people, and that's what God is speaking this morning. There's either a believer or there's an unbeliever. There's no in-between. There's the person who dies and leaves this world and is going to receive the wages for their sin. A wage is something that you receive after you work, is it not? Well, the thing that has taken place is that we are all working in sin. We are all working and operating in a sinful nature. And at the end of this life, if you leave this world without the grace of Jesus Christ, you will get what you deserve. And that is death. You yourself have earned it. You yourself worked hard against the things of God to earn death and destruction, including myself. We've all done things in the eyes of God that are detestable. And they lead towards destruction. 
But then there's that other person who dies and leaves this earth and is face to face with the living God and has received the gift of God. Amen. Somebody say the gift of God. And they will receive eternal life. See, death and destruction we earn. Eternal life, forgiveness of our sins is a gift. You don't earn it. It's freely given to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. There is no in-between. There is no place where you go if you were kind of, sort of, a good person, kind of, sort of, a Christian on Christmas and Easter. There is only, there are only two options. Jesus made it very clear. You're either a disciple or you're not. You're either a sheep or a goat. You're either a sinner or a saint. The Bible says he separates the wheat from the chaff. There's two types of people. And just by coming to church on a Sunday morning doesn't make you one or the other. Coming on Sunday morning needs to encourage you to live for Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you do not have the gift of eternal life, I beckon you to come to Jesus. Put your faith in him. Be born again and receive the life that God has for you. There's grace and it's freely given to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Be saved this morning. So I want to pray. If you don't know Jesus, come to him today. We're going to have some prayer workers up here. And they're going to lead you in a prayer of salvation. And they're going to get you connected to discipleship. But don't leave out of here this morning if you are not sure of your salvation. Amen. God is not playing and he is after your heart. And he is a jealous God and he will not share you with another. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much because you've made a way for us. We thank you that there is a gift, dear God, of eternal life found in your son, Jesus Christ. So I pray right now that if there is anyone in this room who is not saved, that is not right with you and living in, in sin willfully, dear God, that they would be convicted of their sin and they would be saved, dear God, that they would reach out and receive mercy. I pray, dear God, for there to be a testimony that would come forth that someone was saved, that someone was convicted on this day. Father, you're after our hearts, so I pray for full surrender in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen. Please stand to your feet with me. God is good. We're going to take this time to recite our confession of faith. This is our biblical worldview. This is what we believe. This is what we stand on. If you have any questions about our confession of faith, please come talk to me. And so we're going to recite this on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen and amen. God is good. Amen. Please greet your neighbor. Meet somebody new. If you 
our prayer workers are right up here for you. today. Woohoo! It is so wonderful to see all of you here. Thank you for joining us at Metro Praise International. Welcome. Look to your neighbor. Say welcome. Look to your other neighbor. Say come next week. Welcome to Metro Praise International. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. That is our family service. We have King's Kids for children, infant to 11 years old. And then we have Elevate. Fridays at 7 p.m., that is our youth service for our teenagers. If you know anybody from the ages of 11 to 18 years old, invite them. This is the place to be on Friday nights. Here at MPI, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. And we've been saying it from day one when we started this church. Our vision is loving God and loving people. Those are the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. And that's how we want to live our life. How many of you guys want to live your life loving God and loving people? following those two commands. And then our strategy is to connect you to the church through our life groups. Look to your neighbor, say you gotta go to the life groups. And no, please go back to the next, uh, the previous slide. 
Then we have, then we want to mentor you through our 101 and 201. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism. That is our strategy, connect, mentor, and send. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches in this city and 500 around the world. We want you guys to be a part of that. We don't believe that it is a coincidence that you are here. God is bringing in the people to accomplish the vision that he has for this church to reach Chicago and to reach the nations. So let's get into the connect phase. We want to connect you through our life groups. In the back of your handout, you'll see the schedule for the whole quarter of life groups that we have going on for January, February, and March. Kicking it off today for this whole week, we have single mamas meeting. Come on, make some noise, single mamas. Child care is provided. They're meeting today at 5 p.m. Then we have Wednesday, that's our King's Kids Life Group every week. It's infant to 11 years old, 6.30, meeting here at the church. If you have children, you want them to be here on Wednesday nights. We're discipling them. They're learning about Jesus. They're being in the presence of God. We have the best children's workers on the planet. You want these children's workers pouring into the lives of your children. Then Thursday every week, we have our gang outreach. 18 years and up are welcome to join them. 7 p.m., that's the address. We want to reach Chicago for Jesus, and that is just one of the many ways that we are doing it. And then every week on Fridays, we have two adult Bible studies. One is at the Govea's house. The other one is at the Vivid's house, okay? If you are 18 years and up, that's where you want to be. 7 p.m. every week, child care is included in those Bible studies, and they're going through the Truth Project. If you don't know what that is, talk to a leader, ask them some questions, because you want to be a part of that for this quarter. Don't miss out on what God wants to do in your life through the Connect phase here at MPI. Then we want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. The 101 book is Welcome to Your New Life. We have leaders ready to walk through this journey with you, to get into your life, to encourage you, to challenge you, to ask to answer the questions that you have about the Bible. And then when you graduate the 101, we have the 201 class. That is our leadership training class. How many of you guys are happy that all of our leaders have been trained? They've been tested. They've been approved. We want that process to be for everybody. So if you know that God is calling you to be a leader, because we believe every believer should be a leader, we want you to get trained in the 201 class so that you could be appointed to be a deacon or an elder one day here in this church. And then we want to go evangelize. We want to send you guys out every Saturday from 5 to 8 p.m. We're on the streets preaching the gospel. That is where we want you guys to go to be trained because each one of our life groups has a form of evangelism in it. But this is where you get trained. This is where you get out to preach the gospel, to um, learn how to defend the faith. The Bible says that you should know how to give that answer for the hope that you have. So join them out there if you want to do that. And so we want to keep keep doing that. Then we, our goal is to have 100,000. So the only way to do that is to keep getting more, right? So we have a vision, strategy, goal, vision, loving God, loving people, strategy of connect, mentor, send, and then a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches. We got 49 churches to go, right? And then 500 around the world. If you guys are excited about that, I want to be a part of that. Say amen. Come on. I'm excited. Uh, here at MPI, we believe in tithes and offerings. And every week, we want to give you guys a lesson about it. And that comes from our Disciples Giving book. And before we go into the description of what a tithe and offering is, I want to let you guys know that today we are handing out the end-of-the-year give, giving reports. So we want to thank you 
for your support. We want to thank you for your generosity. You will be receiving those reports today of what you've given throughout the year of 2015. If you have any questions about it, please see Pastor Griselda after service. We believe here at MPI that a tithe is 10% of your total income given regularly to the Lord through the church. And so we believe that we are called to be faithful in that. And then we have a missions offering and a building offering. That is where we designate our offerings to go. And so we give to various missions projects throughout the year. And currently we are in a building fund for the new band equipment. So that's how we give here at MPI. So let's get into the lesson. We are on section one of the Disciples Giving Book, lesson two. The tithe was revealed before the law of Moses to Abraham. The definition of the tithe is 10% of our total income given to God faithfully. Let's read in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. You can follow along on the screen. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Here are the two main points from that verse, from those verses. Number one, the tithe is a spiritual principle, not just a law. Say spiritual principle. Before God gave the law of the tithe to Moses, the principle was known spiritually by God's people because of Abraham because of Abraham's interaction with Melchizedek, Genesis 14, 20. So before it was ever given as a law to Moses, it was already there as a spiritual principle through Abraham. And so that got followed down through generations to generation. Number two, spiritual principles never change. Say never change. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. Therefore, spiritual principles like tithing remain the same throughout all stages of time. And it's very important for us as believers to have spiritual principles, disciplines in our life because favor comes through that, blessing flows through that. Here's a summary. Since the tithe was introduced before the law of Moses, it remains after the old covenant and into the new covenant. So the new covenant doesn't do away with it. It continues through because it was introduced before the law was given. Let's apply this in two ways. Number one, be a blessing to your local church like Abraham was a blessing to the priestly king Melchizedek by giving a tenth of everything. And number two, ask God to bless you and give you success like he did for Abraham. Galatians 3.9. Basically what Galatians 3.9 is, you know what, I'm going to go read it because I do have it ready here. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So we give as an act of faith as a spiritual principle in our life to be obedient to the Lord. If you guys are following with me on that and you believe that, you want to apply that to your life, let's confess this confession on the count of three together. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel, revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. Amen. Here are four ways that you could give. Here at MPI, we want to make it nice and clear and convenient for you. They'll be pulling it up here in just a second. 
Number one, in the back, no, sorry, in the bucket during the offering time, so up here in the front. Then number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes in the back. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Griselda if you wanted to pay with a credit or debit card. And the fourth way is online with Chase Quick Pay, PayPal, or Bill Pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. So it's there at your convenience, at your disposal, very easy to do. Again, MPI believes that a tithe is 10% of our total income, and we designate our offerings towards missions and building. And I just want to reiterate again and always remind you guys to be very clear of the amount on the envelope of where you want each amount to go so we can uh, allocate those funds correctly. And here is our building fund. We are raising the monies for the new band equipment, so we are so thankful that you guys are jumping on board to support what MPI is doing. We want you guys to continue to pray. If you have not received the amount that God wants you to give, ask God, what should that be? Number two, listen to the Holy Spirit. Be obedient. Three, give generously because God loves a cheerful giver. If you could please stand up to your feet with me. We're going to recite this. We're going to prepare our hearts. Let's recite Philippians 4.18 together. Philippians 4.18, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness in our lives. And I pray that we as believers, God, that we would be faithful to you, God, starting with our tithe, with our finances, trusting you, God, to meet our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, that you would bless the gift and the giver. I pray that you would receive these tithes and these offerings, God, and that you would give us wisdom, God, to apply it, to reach the city for you, to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, that we would do it to bring you glory, God. And I pray that you would meet the needs of your people, prosper them in their workplaces, give them raises and promotions, because, Lord, we know that you bless those that are faithful to you, God, because you you are faithful and you prosper and favor those, God, who are faithful to your cause. So I pray that you would send forth your blessings upon us, God, as we continue to work to see Chicago saved and the nations to know about you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Please come forward as you give. Thank you so much for your support and for your generosity.
Amen. How many love Jesus? Can I get a woo woo? Amen. How many are loving the winter weather? <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm kind of trying to love it, but I got a sweater on. I got my winter sweater. How many got winter clothes? You were just waiting to bust out. Now you can wear them. Like, man, I got my winter clothes. Man, I'm so happy to have you guys here today, man. It is a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord serving Jesus. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of John, John chapter 15. We are in a sermon series called Chosen. Everybody say Chosen. Chosen. Thank you. Can I get a little more monitor here, guys? Thank you. The series was birthed out of the heart of wanting us to know at the beginning of the year what we can do for the Lord in this church, what we can do to serve Him here. You know, this congregation is a special place. This is a place where we get to share our love for God with each other. If uh, you think Christianity is just a private affair, you are wrong. Yes, Christianity is of the heart, and it is private. It's between you and God, but it's not only a private affair. It is a public lifestyle, and so when we come together in the church, we're following the commands of Jesus. Jesus commanded us to do this, okay? Just like you're supposed to work for your job and you have commands there to follow, as a Christian, you are commanded to gather in the church with other brothers and sisters, and then the publicly express your faith. That's why we have times of testimony before the service. Those are for our 201 students and above because we have so many that always have something going on in their lives. And those who want to testify outside of that do that in the life groups. But here at this church, you're always hearing testimony from the people. Then we sing songs together. Then we give together to the Lord. I mean, this is what God told us to do. And when you think about a church, you can almost get confused and start thinking to yourself, oh, you know, a church is just like, you know, a grocery store or another kind of business that I'm just going to pick out and go to and, uh, you know, find the one that's most convenient for me or sells what I like. And you can get a consumer mindset about the church and miss the whole purpose. A church is not um, just an organization organization, though it is, and we have bills to pay and things like that, but it's really an organism that organizes, okay? It's a living organism that organizes, and so when you're joining the church, you're coming here on Sundays, what you're doing is you're saying, I belong here. I, I'm a part of this. I'm, I'm of God, and I'm of the people of God, and here I'm growing. I'm finding my place to belong, and in this church, you should be able to experience a lot of benefits, like the benefit of growing spiritually, the benefit of encouraging others to grow spiritually. So look at your neighbor and say, I'm here to encourage you. And what you're supposed to do in the service, now that you hear the Word of God, is you are to not just hear the preacher preach it, you're to look at the Scriptures, you're to look at what's being said, and hear what God is speaking to you. So somebody say, Chosen. So we are chosen as a church, as an organization of the living organism of God's people to love God. We are chosen to love God. And that's what we'll be talking about today. That's part of our vision. We're also chosen to love people. Somebody say love people. So what do you think's coming next week? What's, the, what's next week's title? 
loving people. That's right. And then in the church, we're supposed to make disciples. We're supposed to have a way that we're being trained in the things of God, and then we are training others in the things of God. And we'll talk about connect, mentor, send. And then lastly, we are to see the goal, a, 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 a target, something that we're aiming at, saying, Lord, if I'm going to go to this church and be a part of the living organism of your people, I want to see you do great things. I want to see you accomplish things in this place. Well, how about 100,000 disciples? Do you guys think that's a good goal to have? How many think that's a good goal to have? And then 50 churches in this city, don't you think we should give the Catholics a run for their money? How many would like to see us give the Catholics a run for their money? Who said that they should just have all the big ones? You know, let's have some campuses that have the schools, that have all of those things that we need. You see, as we're talking about being chosen, what we're really talking about being chosen to do is we're being chosen to have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. And last week, what we talked about is God invites us. He invites you to be a part of that. So think of it like this. Imagine if I invited you all to Bethany's birthday party, and I said, everyone's invited to Bethany's birthday party, but only those who come will be chosen to ride on the horse. Wouldn't that be fun to ride on a horse at a birthday party? My, my friend had the most epic, most picturesque wedding I've ever been to. It was in Bible college, and uh, his wife was from Vermont, and she had her her wedding in the green mountains of Vermont and this is where it's just nothing but lush green evergreens and trees and rolling hills and the church was built on one of these uh, hills and she had her wedding in the church and then her reception in the back and they had a bit a big beautiful white tent and for the guests to entertain themselves they had a horse and I went on that horse man I rode that horse like nobody's business and then I said hey can I do more on this horse than just what they do in the carnival, you know, which is just, you know, I said, can I gallop with this horse? Can I, can I just get my hair going in the wind and can I feel this thing? And she said, yeah, all you got to do, because this was not a normal kind of like carnival horse or like, you know, like a fair horse. This was a real horse. She said, all you got to do is hold on and hit it on the side with your, with your leg and go, yeah, like that. So all you got to do, everybody just go, yeah. So I go, all right, and I'm like thinking to myself, because I've tried to do that as a kid at the zoo. I've tried to do it other places where you ride. So I'm like, man, this thing ain't going to do that. So I was like, yeah, and it went, and I'm telling you, I mean, but then after I was scared, after the fear went away, after the fear went away, it was like, oh, this is so epic. Green mountains had a little mist going over it. You could hear the horse breathing, and it was like a dream come true. Now, you see, imagine if I wouldn't have gone to that wedding. I would have missed that epic horse ride. You see, God invites us to be a part of this church, and then he says, I will choose you to do awesome things for me if you come. I invite you to come. Everybody's invited, but only those who come 
get to ride and gallop on the horse that I have for them. And so this is what we're talking about at the beginning of the year. And so just look at this image as we've made it this year to really help make it easy for everybody to remember. At the heart of what we're doing is loving God, loving people. Coming from the heart is connecting, mentoring, and sending. And then around that is our goal because what we want to do is go around the world. We want 500 churches around the world. We want 100,000 disciples around Chicago with 50 campuses, and you see it there encompassing the goals. Somebody say chosen. So what we're looking at today is are you and I going to receive the invitation of God and be chosen? And so I hope that you are today chosen along with me to live for God and to be chosen in this church to do great things. Are you with me in John chapter 15? Okay, now if you're there, let's look at this passage together and hear what John was teaching us about Jesus, what Jesus was saying here. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you what? Friends, thank you for everything that I have learned from my Father I have made known to you. And then let's go to this next passage right here. You did not choose me, but I what? I chose you. Thank you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command to do what? Love each other. And so what we see is that we've been chosen for love. Everybody say chosen for love. Thank you. If you were not here last week, you need to go back and look at the notes or the sermon online and understand we've been chosen for love, and that's why we're going to be talking about loving God. And so look at the sequence here of how the love works. It says, my command is this, love each other as I have what? Loved you. So that presupposes that if I'm going to love you, I have to first know that I'm loved by God. And so mark this down. Take it on your notes. I cannot love you greater than my revelation of the love God has for me. I cannot love anyone in this world greater than the revelation or the understanding that I have of God's love for me. If you don't understand to the extent of how much God loves you, you cannot love someone greater than that. So the extent as far as you go with God's love is as much of love you can give to somebody else. Now, you may call what you're doing love. So a non-Christian may say, well, I don't think God loves me, but I have a lot of love for my wife and kids. But that is not true love. True love, according to this Bible, is a love grounded in God, his commands, and his principles. So love here is not just going out to dinner, and love here is not necessarily just doing nice things. Love here is defined in the Bible as keeping God's commands, doing those things that please him. See, right here in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. And so this is what I've said before, a father... A mother, everybody look up at me, please. I want to be very tough and, and it's tight, but it's right. A father or mother who does not teach their children the commands of God is not a good father or mother. I know you may say, well, they provide food for the kids. They, listen to me. They may do those things, but according to the Bible, that's not a good father and a good mother. A good father and a good mother provides for the kids 
and most importantly, teaches them their purpose in God. So listen, there's a lot of people calling things love right now. A lot of people calling things love like same-sex love. That's not love. You see, love does no harm. Love does no harm. So when people are in a lesbian or homosexual relationship and they're calling it love, it is not love according to the Bible. It is actually hatred according to the Bible. And you may say, Pastor, you're confusing me because they're nice to each other. They kiss each other. They hold each other's hands. They have sex with each other. It's, it's love. No, not according to the Bible because the Bible says love is friendship with God. Love comes from God. Think of it like this. Love belongs to God, and it's only used in the things God approves of. It's his love. He gives it to us. So when a same-sex couple says we love each other, no, they may be fond of each other. They may have uh, mutual affection towards each other. They may like each other. They may have hobbies that they do with each other. But biblically, it's not love. It's hatred, and they do it out of self-hatred because they don't know nor receive the love of God. Because if they understood the love that God had for them, they would not do themselves harm let alone someone else harm. It's all about love. See, love has demands in God's economy. In, in God's kingdom, love is not just ooey-gooey. See, this is the definition of love. Now, you may say, Pastor, I don't know about that. Well, you can make up your own definition of love. You can make your own God up, and that's called an idol, and many people do. But you cannot, this is what you cannot do. Everybody say, you can't do it. You cannot go to the Bible, this book, and change what God is here, who he is, and what he teaches love is. So look at this. My command is this, that you love each other as I have loved you. Once again, we cannot love others greater than our revelation of God's love for us. That means until we're born again, we're really not in love. Until we know Christ, we're really not in love. Let that settle in according to God, according to his word. Now, when you love the way God loves, the first affection that you're going to have is towards God. Because God awakens your heart to love. You have not been loving and now someone loves you, the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to respond back in love. Now, what do we see in the Bible? We see a God that loves us even when we don't love him. We see a God that is doing good things for his creation. James says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shifting of shadows. See, that's another revelation I don't have time to get into. But every good thing in this planet belongs to God, whether people acknowledge it or not. When the doctor uses their mind to cure cancer, it doesn't matter if now they go and worship Krishna or go light up a joint and be an atheist. It doesn't matter. The fact that they could use their brain and cure cancer, that good thing upon the earth came from God. Only God. Everybody say only God. If there was no God, there would be nobody curing cancer. This is the God of the Bible. 
Now, for many of us here, we don't understand these kinds of things because we're in a world where love is defined however we want it to be defined, and we're in a world that we think that, that, that we can sometimes disagree with God or un, have unbelief, and there's really no consequence because maybe you go to school or work, you know, young people here, maybe you go to school with an atheist or you work with somebody that has a different religion, and it's almost like you have your beliefs, I have my beliefs. But you, you see, the, the problem is, is that we really haven't taken time to understand love. And we haven't taken time to understand God. And that's why we're so confused to think that maybe it doesn't matter a lot. No, it matters a lot. And so let me just start off by showing you a couple things here about loving God because I want to challenge you today to think about loving God. I just don't want to say go love God and sing some worship song somewhere. I want you to understand the love of God. Everybody say love of God. Now, the first thing I want to do is I want to show you the difference between how and why. How and why. Everybody say how, and everybody say why. You see, how relates to how something works and how it has a function. This is knowledge that is learned and discovered by science, okay? How a bicycle works, a scientist can figure out. You could figure it out if you looked at it long enough, right? How many know how a bicycle works? How many know how a 747 works? Gets a little complicated. How many know how a space shuttle works, right? Few of us here, but not most of us, but we can look at a bike and know how it works. How many know how a skateboard works, right? Wheels, you push, that's how it works. But you see, why is not a how question. A why question is why something works, and it has to do with purpose. See, how has to do with function, why has to do with purpose, and a why question is knowledge learned and discovered by revelation. Now, before I make this into a God thing, let me just make it into a man thing, something we can all understand. Okay, let's take the skateboard example. If you saw me uh, tomorrow skateboarding down the street in whatever minus degree weather it is, you, you could look at me and you could answer the very simple question, how is Joe skateboarding? You, you would look at me and, and I'd be pushing on the skateboard and you could write a little paper on how Joe is skateboarding. Well, Joe puts one foot in the front of the skateboard, he pushes onto the ground and then he puts his other foot back on the skateboard. The momentum of the push keeps him rolling with the wheels and the trucks and he cruises down the road. You could say how I am skateboarding. But you couldn't say why I'm skateboarding. You would have no idea why I would be skateboarding in negative 10 degree weather. It could have been my car is broke down and I need to go to the grocery store. And this is the only set of wheels I have. And so I'm going to the grocery store. It could be because I took some of my wife's medication by accident for her leg and now I'm high as a kite and I'm thinking like I'm, I'm in 1992 and I'm skateboarding at 16 years old. Got my shirt off and the hair blowing in the wind. I could be high. I, I, I could be without wheels or I could have just said, man, forget all this Chicago cold weather. I'm going to have fun today and I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going skateboarding. You see, the how question is, is something science can discover through a scientific method, through research, through, through understanding of the senses and how we look at things. But a why question can only be answered through revelation. 
See, think about that. See, it has to come through a revelation. I would have to reveal to you why I'm skateboarding. So it's me, I'm a person, and I would tell you, oh, here's the reason why I'm skateboarding. I'm skateboarding because my car broke down. And I would, oh, now you know why. See, because I revealed it to you. So think about this, just something simple in life as we get to the spiritual here. See, man can discover through science how babies are born. You can look at, uh, um, you know, the, the image there, the ultrasound, and you can see how this happens. And now we understand with the sperm and the egg and all of this. We can understand how it works. We can develop out the growth stages. We can understand the genes, the DNA. We can understand that through science. But only God, only God can reveal to man through revelation why babies are born. Why are babies born? See, the question isn't how are babies born. The question is why are there babies born? And you could go down the list of a litany of things that science will never answer. Why is there life? Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there a universe? Why do we crave after spiritual things? Why do we love? See, you could say how we love. They could look at the pheromones. They could look at how your testosterone and estrogen or whatever makes a woman a woman, a man a man. We, we could look at this through a microscope. They could look at your body perspiring on your first date with somebody you're attracted to. But they couldn't tell why, 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 why does the human race do this? See, look, look at Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. The secret things. Somebody say the secret things. See, that's the revelation of why things are. That belongs to God. Why is there a universe? Why is there a human race? Why do scientific laws work? Why do we have consciousness? The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children that we may follow the words of this law. You see, God explains to us the how and the why. The Christian has both when the world doesn't have both. They only have the how. Now, look at this next thing. This is why. Somebody say why. This is why everything, everything is the way that it is. We're not just talking today about just loving God, like I said, at some worship conference, or just loving God because you feel God tickle you sometimes on the inside. No, I'm building to a point here that you really need to understand. You see, you there at the tip of this pyramid, that's called human flourishing. That, that little red little triangle up there is your happiness in life. That, that's when you feel fulfilled. You wake up in the morning and you, you have money in the bank and you're going to go spend some or go hang out with somebody you love. But you see, here's the problem. Here's the problem. You have no idea. Most people never think about the foundation that enables that to even be so. You see, for, for you to wake up in a world and have money and spend it, mathematics must be true. That means if you had two apples last night and you ate one before you went to bed, you, there has to be only one apple there for the world you live in to make sense. If you wake up and there's ten apples there and no one came into your house and nothing changed that you know the world is not reliable, it's chaos. But in a world where you flourish in and feel good in, it's a world where math works. 
It's a world where science works. And science is not just for scientists. Remember, knowing how we skateboard is fun for skateboarders. They're not scientists, but they know how to skateboard. Driving your car, you're not a scientist, but at least you know how it works. You steer it this way. You may not know all the components. You push the gas. You see, science has to work for you to have a flourishing life. There has to be natural laws. Gravity can't change from one day to the next. There needs to be a system of chemistry. There needs to be a system of how minerals in the periodic table remain the same. Not only that, you need a foundation of logic and reason. Why things make sense. Can I be a married bachelor? Can I live within a round square? You see, logic and reason is a basis to how we flourish. And then below that is morals and values. Can someone today kill their children, eat them for dinner, and flourish just the same as those who raised their children? But what makes that difference? Then the foundation under that is the very essence of life, consciousness, and spirituality. Why are things living? Why are we not all rocks? Why are we able to think about why we think? And why is there always a spiritual hunger in the si- inside of all of us, even atheists like Sam Harris, who's a Renowned atheist writes books about spirituality. And then right there is why is there even existence? Why are you existing? Why is there a creation, not just the one that we see in our planet, the earth, in our solar system, but the very universe itself? You see, that very tip of the iceberg that people think they're doing without God is really foolishness. This is why the Bible says the fool says in their heart there is no God. It's foolishness for someone to say, oh, I'm living a great life and I don't need to think about God. They have absolutely no explanation to why math works, to why science works, to why there's natural laws, to why there is logic and reason, to why there are morals and values, to why there is life consciousness and a spirituality, to why there is existence and creation. Trust me, I have read the greatest books by their authors. You see, as a matter of fact, some of you here today live like atheists but believe like Christians. You believe like Christians, but you live like atheists. And what that means is, as a Christian atheist, you say in your heart you love God. You come to church, you say you love God, but you pay him no respect, no honor in all of these things. You just simply take what you want, do what you want, and live really as if he doesn't matter much in your life. And you think every now and then if you throw God a bone, you sing a little song to him that you've paid him back. Yeah, I sang a song to Jesus today. I came to church. Oh, man, got you back, God, (laughs) even now. And yet that's a foolish way to live. It's ridiculous for us to be in this world and not understand where we've come from. The foundation of all of these things is God. Romans 11.36 says, For from him, and this is talking about Jesus, for from Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus are all things. To Jesus, to him, be the glory forever. Amen. So let me just tell you right here, let me just draw it out very simply. Your momentary flourishing is all about God. And if you don't take the time to learn why it is the way it is and to give him glory and to truly love him, your little red dot, that little thing stops, you end up in hell and God keeps getting the glory. You see, right now you're in 
his creation. Right now, you're borrowing his life. Right now, you're using his consciousness that he gave you. Right now, we are all learning his laws of logic, learning his natural laws, science and math. We're all borrowing from God. And so the thing that we need to realize is that God's been here all along. And God is worthy of our love the way he asked us to love him. Because love is defined by God. So going here to these morals and values, if someone was to try to say that the God of the Bible is not a good God because he sends people to hell, I would have to ask that person, where did you get your morals from? Where do you get in your mind that you think you can tell God right from wrong? Where did right from wrong come from? The very fact that you can have a moral discussion about God shows that God has given you morals. Now it's up to you whether or not you choose to see the glory of God in the morality he has given you. If you choose not to see the glory of God in hell, then you can disbelieve hell as long as you want. That's fine, but you will end up there for the glory of God. You can disbelieve all day long that God does not call things sins. You can do that all day long based on your own free will. But my friend, you will live in sin and then you will per perish for the glory of God. All things work for the glory of God. Your punishment, your reward, God gets the glory. The choice is up to you. And this is where I want us to just park for a few more moments and ask yourself, am I using this system, this entire universe and all that it encompasses for the glory of God or for myself? See, now we understand that loving God doesn't necessarily come as a burden. It should come as a joy. Because now I'm loving the God who created this. I'm loving the God who makes sense of the world that I live in. And when I see evil, it makes me long for him even more. Because evil, for this moment, gives God glory. How? By showing us what it looks like when we turn from God. We never would have known what it looked like for a person to try to have genocide over a nation. But we do now. We saw a Hitler. We never would have known what it was like for people to kill their own babies. But we do now. We have abortion. We never know, would have known what it was like for people to want to have sex with the same sex even though they can't reproduce. We, we wouldn't have known what that was like unless God gave them over to the desires of their own heart all for his glory. We wouldn't have known that children, family, wives are not the source of happiness unless we would have seen wives, children, and family die. You may say, Pastor, that's a harsh way to look at life. Well, my friends, that's God's way of looking at life. I'll read the Bible again. You can choose what you do with it. For from him and through him and for him are how many things? All things. Are Hitler and the Nazi Germanys. Yep, God used it. The ISIS terrorists, yep, God's using it, showing you what a false religion will lead you to do. Yep, that's what it looks like. Kanye West, yep, that's what it looks like when you worship yourself. That's what it looks like when you divorce yourself from the very God who gave you yourself. 
And so now I hope you're ready to love God. Not because you have to. You do have a choice. This is not a divine kidnap. God doesn't go around with angels in a cargo van without windows and say, hey, psst, come here. I got some candy for you in heaven. Come here. Come here. Angels, get them. <laughs> Drive. Take them to heaven. No. This is not a kidnapping. This is a choice. Do you want to love God? And then now you may say to yourself, Pastor, from all that you said, I don't even have love to give him. Correct. I don't even know how to find him. Correct. And I'm still a sinner blinded by my own desires. I would love him selfless, uh, selfishly. Correct. That's why 1 John 4.19 says we love him. We have true love for him. We understand what love is because he first loved us. Because he showed us what love was. He came down and died on the cross for us. He demonstrated it. And he says, now this love, look at it, the illustration here. See, the love of Jesus now permeates through me when I accept it. And now I can love him back with that same love. Now I can love people with that same love. But I have to choose to receive that love. It's like my children, you know. As they're getting older, they're going to want to buy me gifts and Nancy gifts. And when we send them to the store with money, whose money is that? It's going to be our money. Here, Lucas, here's $10. Go buy Dad something for Father's Day, right? Here, here, Lucas, here's 5 But isn't that just all that life really is in the kingdom of God? It's God saying, here's faith. Use it to glorify me. Here's love. Use it to love me and your, your, everyone else, your world. Here's hope. Here, God is giving of himself these things to us. So the difference between the how and the why, yeah, yeah, how I love God is I pray and read the Bible and I go to church and I do a lot of hows in life that people from the outside can look and go, well, that's how you're a Christian. You go to church. You read. That's not why. That's not why I'm here today. I hope that's not why you're here today. I'm here today because he first loved me. He is the foundation for all things and by him and through him and for him is everything. That's why I love him. He captured my heart. He gave me the very reason for reason itself. And so now today, friends, I want to ask you, why? Why do you love God? Not, not what religion are you, not how you come to church. I want to ask you why. Why do you love God? Because that's what separates us from the other religions. When you talk about Christianity, you're not talking about a belief system. We could sit here and believe in anything. We can make up our own book right now. You want to believe in unicorns? Okay, let's put unicorns in here. Yeah, everybody who dies and is a good person gets to have a unicorn. What else do you want to believe in? Oh, I want to believe in flying dragons. Okay, well, there's a flying dragon coming to get it. Okay, what else do you want? See, we, we could believe in anything we want. I mean, that's called make-believe, is it not? Isn't that what TV shows and movies are all about? But I'm not asking you to make-believe. I'm asking you, why do you love God? Is it for those reasons? Because that's what Jesus was saying. Look at Jesus' words again now and see if they come to life. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved us? By dying on the cross. 
laying down his life for us. How did he love us? By giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. How? All of those hows. But why? Because God is love. God is love. That's why he loves, because he in his nature is love. When he created the universe, he created it based upon us knowing him. And then he proved it to us by laying down his life. He showed us that he truly was who he said he was. Now this is where you have to ask yourself, is Jesus like everybody else? You may talk to a friend, they say, well, I believe in Muhammad. Well, I believe in Buddha. I believe. You know, we all got different gods. They may even go to this, uh, you know, foundation here, and they may say, you know, well, well, just change God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and just put God there, and we're, we're good, you know. God of the Muslims, God of the Hindus, you know, just God. That just God, just a generic God will do. That's all we need. Is that true? No, it's not true according to the Bible. I want you just to look at John chapter 1. Everybody go to John chapter 1 with me. Go to John chapter 1, verse 1. It's not true. And I, I could show you outside of the Bible why I believe the Bible, but I don't have time. So I just want Christians to look at their Bible and understand why this is not true. See, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning, whenever there was a beginning, was the what? Was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, this is where the Christian now changes from all the different definitions of what they say God is. See, we now know God is a person revealing himself. A God is a personality revealing himself in three persons. The Word, who we're going to see is Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. But just see here, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That means He's distinct from what we're knowing here as God. And the Word was God. So in His attributes, He's God. But yet He's distinct from that person called God. Now go to John 1.18 so you don't think I'm confusing you to get it clearly. It says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, everybody say the Son, who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the, has made Him known. Everybody look up at me, please. We see that now God, as the Bible terms it, has three persons. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God. Say, what, what is that? Is that a contradiction? No one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God has made the Father known. See, no, what we see is that there are three persons that are called God in our Bible. The Father is called God. The Word, who we know as Jesus, the Son, is called God. And then we know that the Holy Spirit is called God. And so look quickly to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and onward, one of our famous passages in this scripture because we believe in discipleship. It says in verse 18, Jesus then said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make what? Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the singular name, not names, plural, but in the name, singular, of what? The Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. God has three persons. The name of God, as it was known in the Old Testament, Yahweh, or Jehovah, depending on how you pronounce it, or God in modern vernacular. The name God, the name Yahweh, the name Jehovah, represents three 
divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm building to a point. Are you listening to me? Now, somebody would say, oh, but any God could just be put there. Just put a God. Just put God right there, and then now we have the foundation. No, 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 no. See, because the Christian God is a God of relationship. Tri-unity. Tri-persons in perfect unity. Where did love exist before it was given to men? It existed with the Father giving love to the Son. And the Holy Spirit loving the Father and the Son. The triunity of God is the very essence of relationship, community, logic, all of these together because they are one and yet they are three separate persons. And somebody say, well, there's Hindu gods and multiple gods and they could all be friends. No, 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 no. We're not saying there's multiple lesser gods. And we're not saying that there's multiple competing gods. We're saying there is one God in perfect unity. And yet in the divine nature of God, there is three persons completing perfect community and love. The doctrine of the Trinity was never known until the Christian church met Jesus, or until the disciples met Jesus. Some people try to say this was taken from the triad gods of different religions who had like Vishnu, Krishna, and um, whatever the other god's name is, Brahma. No, 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 no. We're not saying there's a triad of gods. We're not saying that there's just three that work together. No, we are saying what the Christian heard when Jesus came, as Jesus began to talk, is that he was equal to the Father, equal, but yet he wasn't the Father. And he was one with him in nature, but different in personality. The triune God, my friends, not only is true biblically, but is the only logical reason why we would be in community and to love and to experience all that we experience. And to now share that with you in a simple way, go with me to Genesis chapter 2, the image of God. How many want to know what the image of God is? The image of God is a complex unity. Write that down if you're taking notes. A complex unity. The Trinity is a complex unity. Now look at when God formed man. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Does everybody see that? Man became a living being. Now keep going. He creates man. Now here he says, out of man he makes a woman. It's not good. Verse 18, for a man to be alone. Is God the Father ever alone? No, because he always has the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is why God knew that man could never be alone. Then he creates out of man, out of the same nature of man, is a woman another kind of species no. Is a woman another kind of race? Like there's the human race, and that's man, and then there's the woman race, and that's woman? No. You see, there's only one God race. And as how we would know genders, God knows personalities. We know human race, there's two genders. In the God race, there's three persons. Yet they're all equal in relationship with each other, for this is the very reason God created man, then woman, and then what comes from woman? Children. 
the entire human race could be summarized. Man, woman, children. Three divine parts of what the human society is made of. Man, woman, children. Now go to Genesis chapter 1. How many want to know the image of God? Oh, I wish somebody did. Maybe we'll just sing Sunday school songs next week and talk about the love of God. Amen. Some of y'all want to put more attention towards your favorite sports team than you do towards learning about God. God forbid. Use your mind in church. The Bible says love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You need to think about why you should love God. Now go into Genesis chapter 1. And there is an emotional appeal to love God at the end. For those of you who love emotions, I do. I'm an emotional person. It's coming. Now you're ready to understand this. I could have started here, but I wanted to draw it out first so now you can see it in its simplicity. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let. That's why it has to be the triune God. It has to be true to match the Bible. But then for us to make mankind in our image, it would have to be three. Three would have to be the image of mankind. And that is why the greatest power upon this earth is the godly family. It is the foundation for every good civilization. It is the image of God upon this earth, man, woman, and child in unity, working together as one. This is representation. This is representative of the image of God. Let what? Us make mankind. What is mankind? Man, woman, child, husband, wife, child, mother, father, child. This is mankind. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule, rule over the fish in the sea. How many love to eat some fish? Amen. The birds of the air. And may have a turkey for Christmas or Thanksgiving. Over the, They're not really in the air, but you get it. Over the livestock. How many love livestock? And all the wild animals. You see a gorilla? I'm meant to dominate over that gorilla. Amen? Have it do sign language and then we'll put it on the barbecue. If you saw that YouTube video. Please stop hurting animals. They, had, they taught the gorilla to say, please stop hurting stuff. I'm like, that's really good. Now I'm going to eat you. I will eat you because you were meant to be eaten. Because man is not an animal. Man is made in the image of God. You may say, well, they have male and female. Yeah, but we have the consciousness in our relationships which separates us from the animals. This is the image of God. Not just man, woman, and child, but the conscious mind of man, woman, and child having to... Um, having dominion over the earth and all the creatures that move upon the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Them. Male and female, he created them. Female is just as much a part of God's image as female. Even though in the story he takes the woman out of the man, she is not lesser. And even though the child comes from the woman after the man and woman came together to procreate, this is the image of God upon the earth. And now look at his command to us, verse 28. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and every living creature that moves upon the ground. So my friends, why do you find yourself in a world today where this works? 
Why do you find yourself in a world today where the community you live in, man, woman, child, works? It's because God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit made it work. Now look at your, your neighbor and say, that was just the introduction. That took a little longer than I thought, but we got to get to the message now. we got to get to preaching. Everybody open up your Bibles to Matthew 12, 28. Had to give you just something to think about, amen? I wanted you to think about what you're thinking about today. And I wish I was kidding, but that is so the truth. That is really just the introduction. Because now I want to teach you how to love God. Hopefully you know now why you love God, but you need to put some meat on the bones. You can't just, you know, go to a high Himalayan mountain and go, I know why I love God. He created the universe. Every little atom in detail. Mm, I'm here just thinking of why I love God. No, now you need to put some how to it. You need to do some stuff for God while you're here. Remember, Jesus said, my friends keep my commandments. You, you love me, you're my friend, you keep my commandments. Mark 12, 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard Jesus debating and, and the people arguing, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the import, most important? And look at what Jesus said. The most important one answered Jesus is this one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's not many gods, one God. Love the Lord your God, Father, Son, and Spirit, three divine persons, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now do you know why you should do that? This is how you do it, but do you know why? He created you. He created the universe. Any argument you would form against him came from the mind he gave you. He is worthy of all your love, all your strength, and all your mind. He's worthy of all your heart and your passion. He's worthy. He deserves every stadium to be filled, giving glory unto his name. He's worthy of you getting up in the morning and thanking him for the breath that you have in your lungs. He is worthy of every relationship and every good that has ever come from this world. He deserves all your love. This is how we love God and why we love him. You see, that's the basis for why I'm here today. I am here today because he loved me first. Before I knew myself, he knew me and he loved me. Before I knew the law of gravity, he put it there to teach me about his ways. He has shown you through every heartache and every pain and every struggle that all things work for good according to his purpose for his glory. When you ride a train and you go under a bridge or us in the subway and it gets dark, you don't jump off the train. You trust the conductor to lead you through. Every trial and every tribulation we face, we should trust the God who is always there. The God who has always had best interests in mind for us and we should love him with everything. And then from that, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Because there's no greater commandment than these, and we'll talk about this next week. But just like you can't love anybody beyond the revelation of God's love for you, you cannot love anybody greater than the love you have for yourself. Anything else is not really love. Going to that same-sex union that I used as an example, you see, I don't want to go to hell. 
So if I have same-sex attractions for you, I will not have them with you because that means you go to hell. So if I act on my damnable attraction with you, I am also damning you. I don't love you, and I don't love myself, and I don't know the revelation of God's love, and hence I will perish in eternity for hell because God is love. He so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in the standards that he's taught and the things he placed in this world, as sure as there's a law of gravity, there's a law of sexuality, as sure as there is a law of consciousness, there is a law for family and marriage. And we ought to love the law of God as we love the person of God. If my children say, I love you, but I hate your rules, they really don't love me because my rules come from me. They come from who I am. If my wife says, I love you, but I hate your rule of not wanting to, uh, to wanting me to be faithful. You said I couldn't have adultery. I hate that rule, but I love you. That's a lie. It's a contradiction. Those you love, you do the right thing for them. And so how does the Bible teach us to love God? In closing, I will make my sermon shorter than my introduction. Amen. Can I have someone come to the piano, please? How do we love God? We worship Him. We, we make our life about worshiping Him. John 4.23, if you can turn there quickly. When Daryl goes to work tomorrow, the God of the universe is there. Because he has given Daryl the mind to work, the world to create tools with, and the blessing of an economy where things are useful, bought and sold. And so when Daryl finds himself there at that job engineering, he can worship God in spirit and in truth. When he does things right and accomplishes his task. He'll glorify God who gave him his life, his senses, his body. When Nancy wakes up tomorrow and scoots herself down to the basement and hobbles on her butt down the stairs and gets to that couch and starts teaching homeschool, it is worship to God because in all things she's still fulfilling her purpose see yet a time is coming Jesus taught and has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are is that true worship true worship is spiritual and it's true can I get a microphone from up here please it's spiritual and it's true spiritual means Thank you, because you did, uh, let's say two times two is what? Four, because you did multiplication the right way. Truth is when you do things the right way. 
I give God worship when I'm connected to him and I'm preaching to you the truth. I give God worship when I am a father in spirit with God as my helper, being true unto my wife. I am a worshiper as I am a husband, as I am a, a worker, whatever I do, a student. I'm a worshiper. It's all about him. It's all about him. He's the foundation for everything. The triune God of the Bible that invites me into fellowship with him. The next thing that we see, we've talked about it. It's very clear. Jesus said it here, and he also said it again. It's, it's obedience. Everybody say obedience. John 14, 15, we see. Just turn there quickly. John 14, 15. This is why I was giving you that longer introduction, because I want you to understand this scripture. It's so easy, but I want you to understand it. I hope you do. Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Does everybody get that now? So if somebody goes, well, uh, I have different morals than what Jesus told you. It doesn't matter. Love him. He gave you morals. Use them for him. Well, you know what? I, it's my life. I want to do what I Well, you'll perish in that life. Love God with that life. Why? He gave you everything. That's why. That's why. You wouldn't have it without him. Does everybody understand how to love God? You understand now a little bit more about why we love God? Now let me just end today with a few things to think about. I want you to think about your life as the star role or character or actor in a real-life movie or TV show. You're in a documentary. Think of it like that. And this is the title of it. This is the title of it. The Divine Romance. Starring Lawrence Rodriguez. <laughs> Starring Curtis Hoyos. Starring, I might cry on this one. Starring Zoe Wyrostek, my youngest daughter. See, we are in a story. God loves stories. He started the Bible with a story of love. The triune God sharing his community with mankind, making them in his image. Tragically, sin came in and broke that plan that he had. And yet, in the brokenness of all of our scars, he comes down like us to be with us, to take our scars upon his hands and his back, whippings and the nails. And so you are in this divine romance, and I want you to think about this in closing, to use your imagination. Your life is a world of magic and mystery. Your life of deep darkness and flickering starlight. It's a world where terrible things happen to you and wonderful things do too. It's a world and where there's goodness is, is pitted against evil, love against hate, order against chaos. You're in a great struggle where often it is hard to be sure who belongs to which side because appearances are endlessly deceptive. You, you don't know all the time who's good and bad. Yet for all its confusion and wildness, you live in a world where the battle goes ultimately to the good, who live happily ever after, and where in the long run, everybody, good and evil alike, becomes known by his true name, sinner or saint. 
This is the fairy tale of the gospel with, of course, one crucial difference from all other fairy tales, which is that the claim made for it is that it's true. Jesus said this is true. And that it not only happened once way back then, but it has kept on happening ever since and is still happening today. You're in it. You're starring in the divine romance. God is coming after you. He wants to show you his love so you will know what love is. He is coming to change you to what he created you to be in his image. He is inviting you into the fellowship of the divine to walk with him again. When you look at your life, you can see what Ellie Weasel said here, Wessel, I don't know if he's a weasel, but he's a Wessel, that God created man because he loves love stories. The capturing of your heart was so worth it to God that he would let the evil of this world play out. Because if he would have forced you as a robot, yeah, there would be no evil, but then there would be no free will. There would be no choice. There would be no romance. There would be no chasing down the one he loves and drawing her in. It would only just be pushing buttons. And so God had a choice. Let evil be a part of this world and have romance or just fall in love with robots and plastic images I make like cartoons that say what I want, come to church when I want, like a virtual world. And God said, I love romance so much and I love romantic stories so much that I'll let evil be here because I know they won't always choose me. But for the ones who do, that's why I die. That's why I die. You see, we live in a narrative. We live in a story. It's a love story. Existence has a story shape to it. Just everything. You, you watch the cartoon Frozen, and you get drawn in by that story. But you don't have to watch that to see real love and brotherly love. or anything. Just fall in love with Jesus. You'll see it play out in front of you. And then... When you see the snowflakes come down and how beautiful they're made, you can say, God made that, not some crazy girl up in a mountain somewhere. Hello. We live in a narrative. We live in a love story. Existence has a story shape to it. We have a beginning and an end. And we have a plot and we have characters. I'm a character in your plot. I'm a character and you're the star of your show, but I'm a character living in your plot. If you were keeping a journal today, it would be, I went to church, pastor started preaching, I had no idea what he was talking about for at least 20 minutes, and then he started telling me some really cool stuff, and then I started to think about how much God loves me. See, it's your story. See, you see me, I see you. We see the characters, but for us, we are the star of the show, because everyone else is looking at us, and we're looking at them. Hello. But in this story, we have a happy ending where the hero, check this out, where the hero captures the heart of his lover by sacrificing everything for her. In closing, I want you to see this scripture. It's my second closing if you're keeping count. But I want you to see this scripture. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm closing it up as fast as I can. Look at this. I don't have time to read it all, but just... Make time to read some of these scriptures I've been giving you today. 
Well, you've heard it at a wedding ceremony, but I want you to hear it now. Look at this. Ephesians 5, 31. For this is a reason. This is the reason a man will leave his father and mother. See? Man, father, mother. Or child, father, mother. Everybody get it? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Why? Because he's now going to do it again. He's going to start the process again. And be united to his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh. My children have my DNA. One flesh. Now watch this. This is a profound mystery. Why that happens is only in the mind of God. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. See, see how important it is to be here, to come here, to be a part of what we're talking about? Because this is what Jesus says marriage and family is all about. So if you're coming to church and going, man, this church gets in the, t- gets, gets in the way of family time, you know. I wish I just had more time to spend with my kids, you know. Beautiful family just sitting right here. Husband, uh, wife, you know, child. Oh, it just gets in the way. Gets in the way. Hold on, hold on. Bible says God gave you man, woman, child, so you would think about God in church all the time. That's why he gave you man, woman, child, so you would think about God in church. Not the other way around. He didn't give you church so that you could have a family. See, so that's how I used to think about it. You know, I was a high school dropout. I was doing drugs. I'm all messed up. Nobody want to be with me. I'm committing crimes, been arrested eight times before I'm an adult. Oh, I need church so now I can have a family. And now it was all about me having a family. And that's why God brought me to church so I wouldn't be busted and disgusted anymore. Now I got a family. No! God gave me a family so I could understand church. God gave me a family so I could understand church. God gave me a wife so I could understand church. God gave me kids so that I could understand the mystery of a God who loves me when I ever loved him. He says, because when you die, you don't have a wife anymore. You die, you're not a father anymore. You don't take your children with you. We're not some pagan religion that when the man dies, they kill all the family with him, bury the wife with him like some pharaohs. Hello, somebody. No, when you die, Joe, no more father, no more husband. Joe, when you're dead, that's gone. But the mystery of me and you comes to its fullness. Now you see why I put you here for 70 years. Because I loved you. And I wanted to show you myself in those relationships. Those relationships were shadows of me. I was up here and the shadow was down there. Your family was a shadow of me. Just for a time, I'm a mother, or my wife's a mother. Just for a time, we're husbands and wives. Just for a time, but forever. We're Christ's bride. We're his church. Forever we're his creation. Forever. And when I get there, when you get there, I want my daughters and my son and my wife to be where they're with me. Not because we now need to stay as a family unit, but because all of us honored the love of God together. And I taught my daughter. I said, one day I won't be here as a father anymore. We're teaching them that right now because we already got into an accident. It could have been over just like that. No more father for Bethany. But I tell her, but God will never leave you. 
the God who gives fathers and mothers, he never leaves. That God never leaves. And what a father and a mother and what a child is to a father and mother, all that love we feel, which is the closest thing to God's heart, all that love we feel is a drop from his love from us, the ocean of his love. How many want to love God with me today? You want to love him? Let's stand to our feet. Let's give him a hand clap of praise. Come on. We love you, Jesus. Woo! There ain't nobody like our God. Come on. hearts with your love. Hallelujah. The love of God today is here. Band, would you come? Altar workers, would you come? In your own words, eyes open or closed, it doesn't matter, but in your own words, would you tell God you love Him? Come on, I did the best job I knew how today to help us to know why and how the love of God is so important, but it's up to you now. Do you love Him? Do you know Him? If you do, just tell them right now, we love you, God. You're a mystery to us. Oh, God, you come after us. Others would have left us, but you come after us, God. Oh, you are the lover of our souls. If we could just sing that chorus. Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus. I will never let you go. A few more moments before we sing. Would you tell him right now, I love you, Jesus. Oh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we love you. Each one of you are so precious to us today. Our one God and three divine persons. We love you. Jesus. Lover. Lover of my soul, Jesus, I'll never let you go. Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the miry clay. You've taken me from Think about that. He made you out of dust. You've set my feet on solid rock. And now I know. Oh, I love you, Jesus. You know I need you, Jesus. Though my world may fall, I'll never let you go. You're my Savior. My closest friend. And I will worship you till the very end. From the beginning, one more time before we go. Come on, Jesus lover. You're the lover of my soul. Lover of my soul. Jesus, I'll never let you go. Jesus, I will never let you go. This man's in love with you today, God. You've taken me out of the miry clay. You've set my feet upon a rock, and now I know. Yes, yes, I love you, Jesus. You know that I need you. Though my world may fall, though 
let you go. You're my Savior. You're my closest friend down here, Jesus. love you. We've learned how we should love you in our worship and obedience. Now, Lord, I pray we love you, that we see ourselves in your divine romance and play the part, the role you called us to play, being who you called us to 